Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let us pray. Let us, O Lord, be given of Thee that matchless inspiration and interpretation of Thy matchless Word through Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Bible is the great textbook of human duty. And these last chapters of Romans are one of the key sections on the duty of men and women. From chapter 12 through 16, practical duties for the Christian to follow. And we've reached here, chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, where the duty of human love is set forth as the great principle, the root of all virtue. Now, let's not take that for granted and greet it with a yawn. It's possible to do that because love is so commonplace in our Christian conversation. But remember that the heathen, though they had some maxims about love, and here and there an isolated reference to love, nevertheless, to the heathen, it was always something like a nugget to be found here and there. But our Lord Jesus Christ, building upon the great basis of the great commandment in the Old Testament, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. Building upon that great foundation, he took love and made it the controlling idea of the duty of man. And such a new place demanded a new name. And so the Greek word for love, agape, is a whole new understanding of the root principle of what it means to love others. As we look at this brief section from chapter 8, uh, chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. Something grips us here, which might be summarized in a few words. That universal love is no option, but the obligation of every believer, because he is united to a God of love. It is the absolute obligation of every believer. Now, we have sometimes thought of loving as the peculiar property of certain ones of us. And it has seemed true that the gift of love is concentrated now in this woman, now in that man, and their hearts simply exude the love of Christ to us. And they almost carry the whole duty of love for the rest of the church. But it must be that way no longer. 
They are examples, to be sure. But love is the obligation of every believer, with no exception. And we are all of us, therefore, to make love our aim. Now may we address this obligation of ours to find out precisely what we owe. Well, there are obvious obligations. In the first section, verse 8, no, owe no one anything. These are the obvious obligations. Sometimes we need to point out the obvious, the man who walks around the house looking for his glasses and they are tucked into his hair. Somebody points out the obvious. There they are. And once in a while we have to do that with the Word of God. Paul has just finished saying to us, look, render to every man what is due to him, taxes, revenue, honor, respect, and this has reference in its primary sense to our obligation to the state. Owe no man anything. We are to pay the obligations we have to the state, not grudgingly, as if some tyrannical opposition and had been impressed upon us, but with joy and gladness as a duty to God. Owe no man anything. Then Paul broadens this as we look at it further. It means all the obligations, not just to the state, but all that we owe is to be paid. Now some have built upon this verse the idea that we should never, as Christians, borrow money because it says, oh, no one anything. But I think that would be too severe a reading of this passage when taken with other places. For example, what our Lord Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, give to him, lend to him that would borrow from you. It is not forbidden to a Christian to borrow from others in time of need. But what is forbidden here is a careless, contracting of debt and an indifference in the matter of repaying debt so that the Christian is to shun the stigma of unpaid bills, shunning that. And he's to have a transparent honesty in all his transactions with his fellow men. The Christian, while not here, I think, forbidden from ever borrowing money, nevertheless, the Christian is to avoid the state of debt. It is not to be the normal way by which he carries out his living, as opposed to living in dependence upon God and carefully within the means that God has given him. Oh, no man, anything. It's interesting that often the world judges Christians by their diligence and promptness in paying their bills. I think of a man in Texas, Jim Salmon, who had a real estate company and 
He was a fine, is a fine Christian man. He said to his staff one day, he said, if you ever hear of anyone who has something against me, would you come immediately to me and tell me about it? I want to set it right. It didn't take long that afternoon. One of his employees came in. He said, Jim, I was out on a job, and one of the plumbers I heard saying that he would never bid on a contract with your company. I didn't say anything to him, but I'm reporting to you that this plumber has a problem. And Jim went back through his files, couldn't remember the man's name, and he found that eight years before that, the man had put in a plumbing job for a building. But in his bid, he had expected that the pipe would go directly to the building. But in fact, it had to make a circuitous route because of some zoning regulations. And that cost him more money. And when he came to Jim and said that he had spent more than he had expected to spend, Jim unwisely said, I'm sorry, but it's up to you to know your business. And all I can pay is what I agreed to pay. Now, the very next day, Jim was on the doorstep of that man, and he had figured the monies for those eight years, compounding the interest every year on the difference between what he paid him and what the man had needed. And when Jim came in and explained his errand and asked his forgiveness and held out this check, the man stood up from his desk and he said, At last, I have met a Christian. <laughs> you see how we can, with unrighteous mammon, make friends for the true righteousness. When we live under the mandate, owe no man anything. Now, you see, these obligations of ours, these bills of ours and other things, whether they be notes of appreciation where someone has helped us, thank you words where someone has entertained us, a phone call of appreciation, whenever we do these things, we are fulfilling the love of Christ. Don't pay your bills, therefore, resentfully. Oh, well, it must be paid. I hate this chore. But think of it as obeying the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. That commandment requires us to preserve our neighbor's property insofar as we can. And when you are repaying him what he owes and distributing what the Lord has given to you, you are fulfilling the Eighth Commandment preserving the property of your neighbor. Oh, no man, anything. Well, this is the obvious. That's all there. I'm perhaps just reminding you of what's meant in those words. But now let's get into the more subtle obligations which this passage presses upon us. It goes on to say that we have obligations not only to the obvious, but to all others, except to love one another. Now here the reference is to the mutuality of debt, which we as believers in the household of God have for one another. 
There is a kind of bond of love that unites us by virtue of our being in Christ. It doesn't depend upon natural affinity. It doesn't depend upon economic strata. It doesn't depend upon racial matters or matters of sex or age. This bond of love is a mysterious cord that develops and holds our lives together and it means that we owe one another a debt of love, an obligation to love each other. That means hospitality to each other. It means being willing to ask for help when you need it. Some of us are very disinclined to let anyone know our needs. And sometimes I've noticed in our fellowship that when persons most need the love of brothers and sisters, they have absented themselves. When they have blown it, or a member of their family has embarrassed them, or some strange thing came and disrupted an orderly Christian home, something they never thought would happen to them, then they cannot stand the presence of brothers and sisters. Well, they are not paying the debt they owe to the fellowship because their problem laid out on the table of the community of faith would be a gift to the community saying, love us through our difficulty. Help us till we reach the other side. So says the scripture to us, let not each man look on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now we have this obligation. This is not an option. If you're a part of the body of Christ, if you've stood here and taken the vows of membership, you have a debt, a debt which can never be repaid. It is new every day. Every Sunday you start from scratch paying the debt. Are you working at it? It goes deeper. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now here, Paul broadens it to include not only the Christian community, but your neighbor. A neighbor is anyone who is tied to me in my common humanity. It doesn't mean someone who lives next door, necessarily. But Whoever is in need is my neighbor. Whoever is a fellow man is my neighbor. Now the worldling says, I don't owe you anything, and he speeds right on past. But the person of God senses a deep sense of debt to his neighbor. He owes him something great. Why? Because the commandment of God is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that great commandment has two standards to it. And here they are. Pick out the person to whom you are most attracted in this world. Think of them. You don't have to tell anybody who it is. Who is that soul? Something, someone you'd love to do something for and get close to. Feel that 
devotedness in your heart? Now, with that same devotedness, you are to address every man in need. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. The same ways in which you would serve your own needs are you to love those whom God throws across your path. Now, Luther had a good exercise with this thing, what Luther would do was a mental gymnastic. He would put himself in the place of his neighbor, in his person, and then he'd look back at himself. Now, if I were Mr. X, said Luther, looking at Luther, what would I want Luther to do for me? And then Luther would do it. That's incredible, isn't it? So you're driving down the road and you see a man out of gas. He has no gas can, he's thumbing a ride, he's a long way from a station. What do you do? You think, now, if I were out of gas, what would I want this approaching car to do? Then do that. That's the debt. Not because you're earning points. You owe it to that man, according to Scripture. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, you see, we never get done with this kind of loving. It becomes the great principle of our being. It forms the exciting agenda of our life. And friend, the more seriously you take this command of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself, the richer and deeper and more fulfilling will your life be. Some of you are bored. Some of you spend your life with trifles, collecting the equivalent of cigar bands when the people around you are crying out in need. You want a richer life? You want a life of excitement with the phone ringing and people coming and ministries emerging out of your home and your days? Then take that commandment seriously. Start where you are. Give up your selfish introspection and the desire to have your needs met. Loving neighbors as yourself has nothing to do with egotism. It has everything to do with forgetting yourself and loving as Christ loved and in his name. But the obligation carries us a step further. If we have a debt to the obvious and a debt to all others, the debt is more ultimate. The obligation is to God. Because what one sees here is, he says, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Not meaning the law of the state, because he lists some of the laws, and these are the laws of God. And so he's saying that when we repay the debt to our brother, we are really repaying a debt to God. Now let's be very clear. This is not talking about your love to God 
itself. That's the first half of the commandments. The first five commandments are your love to God. And the second five, your love to neighbor. This is dealing with the second five. The Bible nowhere says to love God as yourself. That would be the essence of ungodliness. Because the love of God is supreme and uncomparable. And for anyone to put his own self-love in the same league with that all-consuming passion for the love of God would be blasphemy. Oh no, that's in a category by itself. Your love for God. But it is mirrored in and reflected in when in loving your neighbor as yourself. Now notice that we read here that the law is not set aside. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, and love is the fulfilling of the law. Sometimes you heard it, hear it said misleadingly that the law of love has displaced the commandments of God. If that were true, there would be no repetition of these. But the commandments of God are here repeated, the second half of them. They're here repeated to show their abiding relevance and their permanence, their continuing validity for the people of God. They are not dispensed with by the law of love. They are not displaced by the law of love. No, it doesn't say that love is the law or love takes the place of the law, but it says love fulfills the law. Now, what does it mean to fulfill the law? Well, think of the law as a cup, a God-formed cup. Love pours into it and fills it to the brim. Now the cup has meaning and validity because it is fulfilling its purpose. The cup gives shape and form to its contents. So the law gives structure and direction to the love that flows in it. But the contents would be lost without the cup, and the cup would be meaningless without the contents, so that as the contents fulfill the cup, so love fulfills the law of God. It suddenly is confirmed in its dignity and in its elegance because it's doing what God made it to do, to hold and shape and direct the love of the human heart. Take a, another way to look at that. There is no interference between Love and law. No competition here whatsoever. There's a modern-day feeling that, love, that law has to be set aside and that now we live in the spirit of love. That's as if, that's to divide, you see, what God has put together. There is no jostling of these two things. Law sets the norms by which love operates. Law says what to do, and love gives the power to do it. For Christian love does not exist in a vacuum. 
It is always exercised along the lines of the laws of God. So if you love someone, how could you take their goods? How could you defile their body? How could you stain their reputation? You see, love is the fulfilling of the law. And this is how we please God. He loves to see his law satisfied. And we please him when we satisfy his law by filling it with acts of love right up to the brim. We don't do 60% love and fill in the rest with other motives. That doesn't fulfill the law, but up to the brim. Let the whole motivation for all you do be the love which Christ has commanded you. And here's the shocker. If love is not in it, the law is not fulfilled. So you refrain from hurting your brother, but you'd like to. You haven't fulfilled the law. You've obeyed it technically, externally, but you haven't fulfilled it. Unless there be love in the action and in the heart, there is no fulfilling of the law. You drive 35, wishing all the time that you could go 50. You haven't. You've obeyed the law. You haven't fulfilled it. Obeying is far weaker, far lower. That's something that restrains ungodly men. Let them obey. If that's all they can do, let them do that. But for us who know the love of God, obeying is never enough. We've got to fulfill this law, which means that we do it with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We don't go one mile, we go two. We don't give up scant measure, but one that's heaping and running over. That's the fulfilling of the law of God. Friends, God's put an immeasurable command upon us here. I have not even begun to scratch the surface of the obligation that rests on you. I have had an obligation myself to bring it. But you see, Paul sort of strains under it when he says, I am a debtor to the Jews and to the Greeks. Well, whoever made him a debtor, God did. And the debtor is that I'm to love them. And the best way I know to love them is to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ. I am a debtor, and so are you, and so am I, debtors to each other with a love of endearment, and debtors to the world in a love of benevolence. You don't decide to manufacture such love. All you can do is receive it and pass it on. And so as you open your heart in faith to the love of God and let that love course through your being and transmit it through you, through your words and through your hands, then you've become a conduit of divine affection to human need. 
You're passing on the love with which God has loved you. There's the mighty source. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We don't make it. It's a fruit of his own gracious gift. It's a ministry of his Spirit in us. But we must open the doors and by faith receive the gift and give it on. Don't any of you today who have not yet embraced our Savior as your own think that by going out and loving deeply and indefatigably that you can save yourself. They finally found the key to human salvation. No, you haven't found the key. First, you must receive of the love of Jesus. And giving yourself to him, you will become a channel of his love. First, make peace with God. Then become in his name a lover of men. Over us stands the image of the great lover, Jesus Christ. The obligation is in his heart. It's a burning sense of debt. He hastened from one town to another. I must go hither, for I must preach here. I must die. I must be raised again. A divine obligation pressed upon his soul. And it's the very one that is ours. Universal love is no option, but the absolute obligation of every believer who would walk in the steps of Christ. This week, I call you to begin on that mountain of debt in front of you. And you know, I promise you that in the paying of it, you will have the time of your life. Let us pray. Blessed and gracious Lord, we do rejoice and thank Thee that we have been not left in a state of wondering what we are to do. But we have been given an agenda to occupy us until you come. This unfinished debt of loving one another in the name of Christ and of loving the world in your name, to that debt, to that obligation tonight, we surrender ourselves. In quiet, will you make your resolves? Ask God to make you a lover of the church and the world, to press obligation on your sense of being. In Jesus' name,